0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the You're Still Here podcast. I know last week I briefly mentioned, you know, I could really use like a bot to work off. If I need somebody else once in a while at least to bounce something off of because it makes it tremendously easier, you know? I don't have to worry about half a second of dead air without having to come up with something off the top of my head. And I'm going to have that luxury this time. I tried this about a year ago, but I wasn't well-versed enough in the old podcast game to have two mics set up at once, so I uploaded half an episode, and then I couldn't find the other half. But now that we've got it situated, I've brought my same friend back, my nameless friend. He's going to remain nameless because of the way things are right now. You say a name, who knows when that flaming arrow's coming your way. So we're going to keep him nameless. He's going to be a generic guy, a placeholder. When you created a player in NHL 2006, and Alex Ovechkin wasn't in the game yet, it just said placeholder. Number eight placeholder. So placeholder, welcome to the podcast. Welcome again. Hopefully this episode actually works.
1: Yeah, no, it's good to be back. And uh, I thought we had a pretty productive conversation the first time and definitely disappointed that the second half didn't get to, you know, get put on. But today I think we can cover uh, a lot of bases.
0: Yeah. And it's actually good because when I tape the podcast, usually I, I make little notes throughout the week when there are things that pop into my head. But- I always eventually want to get back to – I want to talk some about LA because there are so many different experiences about LA. LA, everybody has a little piece of it in them because when people watch TV, they feel like there's some sort of affiliation. And when I tell stories and provide even just a little bit of insight, people tell me that they find that interesting. Like, oh, I I didn't really know that. And then when we had that conversation, I noticed that people – kind of gravitated towards some of the parts of that conversation like wow i didn't know that so i think really you know we obviously can just shoot the shit but i'm going to try to maybe recall either some of the things that we talked about or just experiences in general that people from any part of the country in our case the northeast moving to la and, and what that would be like and like the different kind of people that you interact with out there is that fair enough
1: Absolutely. And a little, you know, for any audience people out there, like a little background without giving away too much. I'm um, Originally, I'm from the Northeast. Andy and I probably grew up about, I don't know, like 70 miles away from each other in slightly different areas, but close enough where once you get to a different part of the country, you realize how similar your little you know, all yeah, of your quirks, like, your picadillos, how similar you are compared to people from one of the 50 states.
0: Yes, like all all the little things from taste in food to the way you just quickly will say you yeah, fuck at the end of something. I got news for you, people. In the middle of the country, they don't end with a comma, you yeah, fuck, but I do. And <laughs> when somebody from the Northeast, even if they don't speak like that, they hear someone like that, they naturally gravitate towards them. And that's what happened. With placeholder number eight and myself, we met on. I believe it was. It was either NCIS Los Angeles or it was um, the one with Caruso. Uh, uh, that that's um, when he takes off the glasses. Yeah, what show is that? CSI Miami. CSI. <laughs> And I stole a shirt from them. I stole a shirt from their wardrobe that I still have. Unless you can actually get in trouble for that and somebody's listening. In that case, it's just entertainment for the podcast. So I may or may not have a theoretical shirt from the set of CSI Miami still in my wardrobe closet today. And that that's where we met and we've kind of just been friends ever since. And I guess that's actually a perfect way to start. Maybe we talked about this last time. But the world of extras you know ricky gervais made a whole show about it but even that doesn't do it a true service so extras in los angeles it is a bizarre community and most people who show up in los angeles they register with this scumbag company known as central casting you may have like you'll hear this Loosely referred to in television shows and movies, if they say, oh, he looks straight out of central casting, it's the agency that every single person who shows up to Los Angeles to be an actor or just get some extra work, they register with this agency, they take pictures of you and what you would play and your demographic and your age range, and they put you in the background of all these shows. And me and the other guy with me assuming we both registered with that company when we get there, because you don't know what to do. So you register with that company. We were both an extra on a show and that's how we met. Is that is that fair to say?
1: That's exactly how we met. And it, it is true. This company basically is this giant casting company. And the reason they use that expression, oh, he or she is straight from central casting is because you basically have a type. It's, it's a meat market. So they take a picture or a couple photos of you and then they have your stat line your height your weight your race your eye color all this stuff and basically you're gonna fit a type and when directors are making episodes of whatever show they're doing or a movie they basically are thinking of a group oh you're hipster skateboarders you're punk rockers yeah. you're a group of homeless people you're gonna be a police officer and they have a stereotype of what they think, which is based on what they think America thinks you look like. Yes. And then they cast you, your picture picked by people, which basically means they look at you and they look at your stats and they think, do you stereotypically fit the demographic that I'm looking for? And if you do, you get shoved in.
0: All the things that they tell you to do in your life. And hey, don't judge a book by their cover. You don't know if that person's this. You don't know. That's exactly what they do in these casting situations. That's what they do when they're casting a a movie off to the side. That's when those headshots come in. He looks like a this. He looks like a that. He can play a that. But in central casting, when you're talking about mass entries of people into a system, you literally are, oh, bro jock, 18 to 30. And you're just lumped in with a community based on your idiotic picture that you take right there in front of them and that i mean it's one of the i believe that every single industry has an underbelly i believe if you work in a restaurant every single person in that restaurant is hooked up with each other the married people hooked up with the everyone's hooked up with each other that's one of the underbellies of working in like a restaurant or something like that and in the entertainment industry acting there are endless underbellies There's an underbelly, there's a fupa, there's a cankle. Every single area or crevice, there could be dirty things hidden. There are. I mean, this is known. I mean, this is Hollywood. The casting couch, we know of all the things, but in casting, and like this this central casting place and other places like it, they just have huge generalizations on people based on their immediate look and then later on that night they'll tell you, hey, don't ever judge somebody why you meet them. You gotta understand them that until you get to central casting, then we're just gonna take one glance at someone and tell you exactly who they are. It's a little funny <laughs> conundrum right there. And then going off of that, I I was saying that the, the, the community of extras is one bizarre community. Now, my friend and myself, and I know that we have a biased opinion on this matter, but I would argue that we were the regular ones. We were the marshmallows in the Lucky Charms box. Everybody else, the people you get there, they say when someone gets out of jail, you can do two things, go to construction or get a job with central casting. No background checks. Anybody can do it. And what you get, like my friend and myself, you get many prospective performers who move there and hope to make something of themselves, but they're nobodies. I was an absolute nobody, but these people want to seem like they're somebodies because they're on the set of Bones, they're on the set of The Mentalist and they want to feel like they're more important than they are so they oversell that they're 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 on they're working on some project they'll have a fake script that they printed out from the local library with them just to make it seem like they're working on something you want the scam of the week i mean it could be los angeles is the city of scam you know how there's sin city los angeles is the city of scam and these extras i remember they would use first names about actors like they were at their parties like oh i remember you know we would talk about the notebook oh i remember when ryan was like they would talk like they knew that but just pure scum the fake it till you make it to the fullest extent was on this set of these shows
1: the thing is is you're 100 right the fake it till you make it, it this is ground zero for that this is where like chicken or the egg I know where this thing hatched and it's Los Angeles on movie sets. Okay. Because it's all about, because here's another thing. Industries with no barriers to entry. And there are more than it's more than just Hollywood, but Hollywood particularly, there are zero barriers to entry. You could come from anywhere and have any background. You can be mentally disturbed. You can have a really difficult past and you can show up to Hollywood and you just hit the zero, the re you know, the reset button. The thing is, is, Here's a little background. I'm sure most of you out there realize that starving artists, whether you're musicians or actors or whoever, you have to have a hustle job. And so being an extra is a hustle job for people in Hollywood, I'm sure in, in New York, you know, wherever else. So it's not too dissimilar from being a waiter or a bartender or being a valet. It, there are jobs with very little background check where they just want people originally to come in as kind of a laborer and you hustle and you just kind of work for tips or for extra money and you do it so that you can make money and support yourself while chasing your dream. Yeah. But like most hustle jobs you meet it, you know, you meet shady people, you meet shifty people, you meet people that are very in and out of it. And so, but the the funny thing about being an extra is that Like you said, because you're not in a restaurant, because you're not in a parking lot with a bow tie on, you're on a set and you're technically taking part in the Hollywood process, even though it's a very small part. And so it is a breeding ground for people to, you know, essentially think that they're a bigger part of it than they already are. Like once you're there, you you can pretend to be something you're not because you're not serving apps at Chili's or Outback Steakhouse or anything like that. You're on a set so you feel oh i'm close to the production i'm part of it oh i know the director they brought me in i'm a special they picture
0: picked me but as somebody once told me on a set all we are are valets at the party that they're not letting us into that's what you are you're a a valet you have nothing to do with anything integral that's a part of this production and the, the disgusting thing is how they will try to make it seem like you are when they need something from you until they don't. And I'll, I guess I'll retouch on the, this is something we brought up the first time. So if you listened to the first part of that episode, the pure degradation of people perceived to be below you in the structure and hierarchy in a city that's trying to remove all structures of hierarchy they partake in it the most i told you on one of the previous podcasts there's no worse place for having somebody above you treat you like trash than los angeles i said on one of these sets the absolute bottom was i'm gonna do it the opposite way everybody knows the director right Well, the director speaks down to the assistant director, who speaks down to the second assistant director, who speaks down to the extras, and then, I'm sorry, the second assistant director speaks down to the second second, yeah, that's a real thing, the second second. There's just endless life. So then the second treats the second second like garbage. And this, the second second AD, their literal job is to just wrangle extras and make sure like cattle that they stay in a specific area. And they treat the extras not well. And then of the extras, the non-union extras get treated poorly by the union extras. And it never ends. Everyone's just a prick all the way down, and nothing applies to every circumstance. Obviously, there were little gems in there along the way, but for the most part, you just get constant shit treatment from the people above you. And once I kind of removed myself from that industry and I got a regular job at a regular company, I was just so wowed how somebody levels above me was just like speaking to me kindly and with respect. And when I said something, they didn't dismiss it. I was that, I'm not going to say the term brainwashed, but I was so used to people being scumbags. Now, I'm a, like, if somebody mouths off at me, I don't care if I'm going to get fired. I'll probably say something back. However, this is what goes on there. There is a huge, constant power dynamic and structure that permeates that whole city, set, you name it. And maybe it's changed since I'm gone, but what would, what would you say to something like that?
1: I'll tell you this. I haven't done extra work in probably eight and a half or nine years. So it's been almost a decade. But I do work behind the scenes in television shows in another capacity. And I can tell you that I can at least see how things are being done on set. And I'll I'll say this. Since social media and recording people has become bigger over the past decade to the point where everybody has a phone, anybody can record anyone and take pictures, even if you're not supposed to on a set that combined with the me too movement and some various kind of civil rights you know ideas and concepts that have come into the come into the, the you know the, the public sphere or most industries they've had to dial back like the flagrant and public mistreatment of people because i remember when i was younger when i was 22 when i was on sets i've been cursed out on a set I've been spoken to like I was a, a dog, like a, somebody's pet dog that ran out of the cage when I wasn't supposed to, and I've heard directors and first ADs and other people say really, really demeaning things. 90210,
0: shut your mouth, you damn dirty extra, like it was Planet of the Apes and we were being yelled at like Charlton Heston. Shut your mouth, you damn dirty extras, straight from the set of 90210, Ba-na-na-na. Da-na-na-na. shut your mouth, you damn dirty extras. That's what I remember. So you're right. The movements have happened since I've left and the constant cell phones, you know, people potentially being reco- that makes sense. But it's sickening to know that the only thing that really stopped them was the ability to be caught opposed to, you know,
1: it's nice that the public humiliation and the, you know, degradating comments are now kind of in the backdrop, because it's just not as cool to do it anymore. If you're from the old guard, you have to really be careful because complaints about mistreatment are taken more seriously than they ever have been. And so that ends. But the concept beneath that is still the same, which is that you're expendable. You don't matter. They don't need you if you are one of these extras. So now, yes, you're spared the public humiliation of being screamed at or called a moron in front of an entire crew of people. But they still do not care about you. They don't care if you come back. They don't care about your livelihood. And they will just quietly tell one of their minions or a production assistant or call someone at the casting company, complain about you, and say to never send you in again. And they'll hope privately to like never see you again and try to remove your ability to like work on that show or like affect your livelihood, maybe even like get you suspended. So in any case... Your status hasn't changed, and the way that they think of you and the way you end up being taken care of in the end has not moved an inch. They just won't publicly address you It's a a perfect
0: micro—you know what? I'm happy it happens a little on their end because that's what it's come for the masses now when it comes to opinions on a bunch of things. Like all the shows that you see out there now, you know how many times— I just give casual references to things being shit now because they're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to say anything, but I don't get into specifics because those specifics will, you know, they'll get me theoretically burned at the stake. And when you talk about what's the upside, oh, I made a funny joke on a podcast that a couple people were listening to the downside. Some asshole decided they want to make something public and now I got to defend what I was talking about. So it's like they can burn me down, get my accounts taken, and the upside was I made, you know couple hundred people laugh and you know it's nice to see that at least they have to have some reservations on summer because there's no bigger scam than them presenting themselves as the most accepting and the place that you want to be and it's a warm welcome at every corner until you get on a set and you're treated like a piece of dog shit and um i mean i guess that's a natural transition you know before i left there uh You were still seeing some good good stuff on TV. You know, you were still getting the um, uh, it's always sunny was in was in full flight. You were getting shows that still came across as normal, but in the last couple of years, it seems like we are being spoon fed absolute dog shit and how you know this is the case and not just me making it up like, you know many people probably say oh back in my generation the movies were good but when i show my younger brother's friends movies and they're in their early 20s and they're laughing saying, oh you, you there's nothing like that you can watch now then it lends credence to the belief that there's just shit out there and when top gun comes out and it's a blockbuster it shows a that there's still an appetite for going to the movies and for blockbusters and for good stuff and b that it's true the reason there wasn't another top gun before top gun is because it was just a continuation of this shit and there hasn't been a good movie in a freaking decade for the most part you know maybe there's, there's been a joker here and a this there but it used to be what movie's coming out, what's the funniest. There was always a hangover, a 40-year-old version of something. There isn't shit now. And I've said that's why you get the rise of the Logan Pauls of the world and these Nelk boys because if you're not going to have anything funny, you're going to force people to alternative sources to laugh. So in between the time I left where you could still make funny stuff and right now you're still kind of on the audition grind And we talked about this a little beforehand when you're going out for roles now, how does it differ from what you remember? Like when we both started,
1: well, I'll tell you this, it's, it's funny because there ends up being an ultimate irony in the whole like diversity and inclusion, because my understanding and i'm a i'm a pretty middle ground person on most subjects i'm not a super political guy when it comes to most topics i agree with fairness and all of the doctrines that somebody might preach but to me my thought process coming out of college and going to hollywood was that overall we're trying to move away from stereotypes and move away from, oh, you look like that, so you are that. Or your identity or your physical being represents everything that you are. Because I thought as society, right, we're supposed to be evolving and moving past that. Yeah. But it's funny, the more the diversity and inclusion in Hollywood is sold to people, and the more it's included in these shows, I feel like the more we're actually grasping on to stereotypes. So I'll give the audience a little bit of a you know small insight. I am a six foot something white man, identified you know, identifiable as Caucasian in the audition room. Yeah. And probably pretty traditional, you know, preppy, whatever you want to say, white bread, you can throw it in. There. He
0: looks like he would escort you to your seats at a college basketball game. That's kind of I'm not that nice. <laughs> well, as far, as far as the look I would cast him as a almost like a professor's assistant when you see when you, what do you call those? Like when a, a, is a, that a TA. ta? Yeah, he'd be a ta at a Massachusetts school. That, that's that's kind of what he looks like.
1: <laughs> In any case, so you think okay? Well, I thought we're moving away from. Well, it doesn't matter as much, you know, wh- what exactly you, you know you look like because yeah. anyone can be anyone, and that's also the point of acting: is you can become someone else, you can play an interesting character. And I found that as time has gone on, what you look like and that central casting concept of the type you are is more important than ever. Ground zero sometimes being white people and in particular white men because I found that in the past five or six years the roles that I'm going out for are a police officer and sometimes a police officer painted in a negative light or recently I I auditioned for something in the past year where I was an entitled fan yelling at a person of color in the stands at a at a basketball game an nba game
0: so you had to show up at an audition room and yell disparaging remarks at (laughs) a minority correct well you know what i I actually talked about auditions a couple weeks ago when you go to a set everything you know they paint the picture so let's say this well let's say you were at a football game and you were yelling something well you know they simulate a football game there's a fake audience and it feels real but when you audition for these you're just going to an office building that looks no different than where you get your teeth cleaned it looks like a dentist building and you walk into a standard office next door to another standard office so can you imagine this guy going in and yelling disparaging remarks at a colored community as part of the audition but there's just a dentist in the actual room next door wondering who the hell is in there and then my front buddy walks out at the end saying oh hi good day sir as in the parking lot and lord knows what the, isn't that just kind of funny to think about that kind of situation because auditions are wild i I told you I had to, my eyes were getting ripped out in an MTV show, and that's what I had to go do at 10 in the morning and simulate in a standard New York City office with some random woman who looked miserable. That is an audition experience.
1: I'll give you one just to throw this in here. Well, I'll give you two. So one plays back to what we we're just talking about. I also had an audition where I'm playing an LAPD helicopter pilot flying over the 1992 Watts riots oh for a movie. And I'm making disparaging remarks about somehow you know letting it all burn to the ground or not caring <laughs> about these people. And I thought, well, this is this is perfect because that's you know, the role I was born to play. Right. Uh, so that was that was pretty horrible but I mean at this point you know beggars can't be choosers as my father always said so sometimes I guess even if you have to play an evil racist cop or that's what they want me to play I guess you have to play that just so you can get credits one of the most embarrassing auditions I ever had where you're just in an awkward moment in one of those sterile weird rooms where you're so uncomfortable and you, you couldn't feel further from whatever moment they're trying to capture yeah this is actually probably close to a decade ago I'm auditioning for a A television commercial for a major department store and it's a callback so at this point they must have liked something about me so I go in there and it's me and a room full of children I'm not kidding children (laughs) so it's a bunch of kids who are 10, 11, and 12 years old probably five maybe six of them and then me and at this point I'm early to mid 20s but I'm over 10 years older than all the other people like I am an adult man Yeah. And even in the structure of the audition, they said, okay, we want you to say your name, what agency you're with. And if you're under 18, say your age. And if you're over 18, just don't say anything because they don't even want to know how old you are. So of course, you know, they're going through the people and it's, hi, I'm Timmy and I'm (laughs) with uh, William Morris
0: Endeavor and I'm 10. God, it got to you. You were Robin Williams and Jack.
1: Yeah. And then I'm like, hi, I'm with (laughs) such and such. I don't say my age. I leave it at that. At this point there's the lead casting director, the casting director's assistant, the director of the commercial, and then a representative from the the client who is the department store. Yeah. So it's all the all the people that really matter in this commercial and then me and a room full of children. They put on. It's not there are no lines. They surprise us. They put on a tone loke song and then ask each one of us to step up into the middle in the front of the room like step out of line solo and act like you're at a wedding like in the middle of the circle and just start doing dance moves and smiling and looking happy while doing (laughs) (laughs) improv dance moves to a tone loke song and i am in a room with probably 12 or 13 strangers that I've never seen before, including six minors children. And I have to dance like a moron to a tone. Loke song. I must have sprinted out of that building. I had a cold sweat up my body. I could barely breathe. I hated, I I wanted to call my mother and tell her I was about to leave town. It was that uncomfortable. And I felt so weird. And then, The the worst irony of Hollywood is I got a call eight hours later that I got the commercial.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And I
1: just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just is the ultimate irony. And I felt horrible. And I thought, is this really how it works? Your worst moments are your best. Cause this emotionally, this just does not feel right. And it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think whoever was watching that got turned on by your uncomfortable nature and was like, "I want to see that guy one more time on set." Jesus. Yeah, well, we we told those stories last time. We can give abbreviated versions of it, but you know, there was that the rise of you know the the Me Too movement and all the predatory nature that was going on in Hollywood, and we both have our own stories. But like I said, you know, they they rely in Hollywood for the most part of the people being there being ungrounded floaters, people who don't have a core group of friends and family who are supportive of them, that random person you knew in your high school who just drifted out early and then ended up in Los Angeles hoping to make things right, that's who was always most likely to be preyed upon because they didn't have a foundation. Feel the foundation, dacian foundation, 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 Got that? Good foundation. That's what I had, so I never gave a shit. When I was on a set of... Um, I forget what the name of it was but then if I said I mean look I really don't give a shit I would say the guy's name but just out of the maybe Italian heritage I don't like to be a rat I'll let someone else do it but a director came up to me and he had his assistant come up to me first and said like the director wants you to be featured in the opening shot of this pilot which is going to be picked up and then you never know so they sell you the hope just like they say in Shawshank hope will kill a man And that's what they – they know that you have hope. And then he introduced me. The director introduced himself to me. And then at lunch, he introduced me to Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. I swear to you, right on the set. Now, you might be able to figure out who this is. I don't care. But he introduced me to them, gave uh, gave me his card to hit him up at any time. And, you know, you just think like, oh, well, I mean this – This is how it goes. If you put yourself out there and you're friendly to them, then look, they're introducing you. This is networking. And then it's before they pick up the last shot. They broke for lunch. So we're all getting in our starting positions to reconvene after lunch. And then he goes to me, you want to get some dinner? And I looked at him and I swear, I don't know if this was, you know, somebody intervening on my behalf because there's no way i could have just said yes i swear to you the bell you know when the end of lunch that bell happens like everyone to the not not like a high school bell but there's this bell they ring to wreak it it hit at the exact moment he asked that question to me and then he got like pulled toward the set and everything and i never had to answer but that was my and i still had his card so i could have hit him up that was my like that first that first thing, a bait they were putting out there. Want to meet the director? Want to be featured on this? If it gets picked up, who knows? Here's Efron Hudgens, who happened to be dropping by to meet this guy during lunch. It's giving you the smallest taste to set you up for God knows what. It's the modern equivalent of a hot girl being asked for feet pictures in the DM. It's not everything. It's a little something. It's a little something to start you on a path. But... I didn't do it, obviously. I mean, I just – because I couldn't – I operate my life this way. You've heard me say this many different times. I can't make it that way knowing that at some point, even if I'm at the top, top, that there's a conversation going on, that original assistant who asked me if I wanted to be featured, that he's having a convo out there. (laughs) Yeah, you know, this guy, I had to bring him to set, and then he had to F – you know who to just even get that first shot so it wouldn't even happen without me and him getting effed in the ass i can't have that asterisk next to my name even knowing one guy out there has that I, I just wouldn't be able to sleep at night it's how my corrosive mind works i still think about when someone calls me out for using a word incorrectly 20 years ago i cannot live with some i'd rather just sell pineapples on a beach in hawaii and that said die than allow that to happen that's just me though and i know you have your story Yeah, my story is, um,
1: and I don't, I don't know if this aired last time. This might have been in the lost footage. My story is pretty simple. I was on these, you know. They have all kinds of casting websites, and this is really like their early stages of, of casting websites.
0: Yeah, so so to give a real expedited breakdown of how it goes, if you have an agent, they have exclusive access to the true castings and to submit you for good stuff. If you're a nobody, you can submit yourself on the next level down, which is the publicly available breakdowns that at the time were done through casting networks and actors access and like one or two other sites, but there would be publicly available roles, sometimes student fills, sometimes independent things, and you can publicly submit yourself for projects on those websites. Absolutely. And it's it, it is
1: it's a good way to try to at least, whether you have an agent and they're using that as your profile to submit you for projects, or it, you can get independent low-level work off of it. Either way, if you're new to the game or you're, you've only been in LA for a year or two, it's a good idea to get on these we've all been on them. So I'm on an early iteration of of one of these like various sites and you can send people direct messages. Now I wasn't sending people direct messages unless it was responding to an audition notification, but I would never message someone privately. I had no one to message. But I have photos up there and people that are part of the administrative side can reach out to anyone that they discover on there as talent and they yes. can send you a message.
0: So if you register yourself as a casting company and somehow verify yourself by any sort of means, then you now can look at the whole pool of talent. So if I was, if I wanted to meet every single hot 19-year-old girl in Los Angeles, as long as I can fabricate some sort of production company, then I can just literally check them all one by one if I want to.
1: And so basically a very powerful person in Hollywood they're not even an individual director or writer but they're just kind of an executive that are this person is a major player in in the sphere of Hollywood with recording with production companies etc major charity organizations this person's very rich they have probably a multitude of assistants staff members doing all kinds of little work for them both professional, and private. This, I'm assuming, was some sort of personal assistant that specialized in private liaisons or (laughs) whatever (laughs) term you want to use. This person reaches out to me, and also I could tell that they were a foreigner because their English was not great. So this was potentially a person from another country that was here working under the table for this major, major person. For lack of
0: a better term, a henchman. It probably wasn't their real assistant. It was a henchman Romanian assistant.
1: Something along those lines. It also could have been a made up profile. So it could have been someone very professional that made a profile on one of these casting websites that was a completely different identity so that it couldn't be traced back to anyone. I received a message asking if I wanted to have dinner with this rich, powerful person. And this is all written by the assistant. Yeah, And they basically laid out that I would be having dinner with this powerful mogul that I would be spending the night with them in either their Beverly Hills or New York penthouse that they were very rich and had all of these amenities that I could use and that I wouldn't even, they're so cool that I wouldn't even be aware that they were homosexual because this person was a male. And then the request was also that I would not have to do anything. I would just have to eat with them, keep them company and that they would perform a sexual act on me ah, nice. for a fee of a few thousand dollars. So, I would get a lovely evening in a penthouse, I would get a dinner, and I would get a flat fee of however much money in exchange for allowing this person to perform a sexual act yeah. on me. Yep. It was pretty, it's pretty jarring to see it for the first time because that's something you only see in TV and movies. You don't think somebody's going to approach you, especially as a guy. I think young women. This happens to them a lot during their lives, and I feel terrible for young women. I think society can be very hard on them, and Hollywood is the worst on young women. It's so hard for them. And so this was my first experience as a guy being a 23-year-old man at the time. And so I was partially horrified, but then you're also intrigued. Is this real? I can't believe this is happening. Is this – so I – was never going to do it. I never even considered it for two seconds, but I at least wanted to see what this person, what they were willing to talk about or exchange. Just oh, yeah, like the you, little, went, you
0: and Chris Hansen on them. You, wanted them. you wanted them to reveal things on the transcripts.
1: It was detective
0: work. But the
1: minute that I started questioning, well, what are, what are the terms? Oh, How would man. I be paid? Yep. I think they might have answered me one more time and it was vague. And then the minute the questioning within one to two messages got to be too much for them, they... I went to go check within 72 hours and the profile was deleted, oh, the
0: evaporation. gone, yep.
1: just evaporated because I didn't play ball immediately. They had to close the account and then I'm sure they relaunched it with another name or another user so they could proposition other people. It was slick. It was f- fast. And I saved the message somewhere. I don't think I had anymore. It was on an old computer just because I wanted to kind of have it as a relic of how slimy Hollywood yeah. was. But it does not surprise me because I've heard other stories from other people, and we can't...
0: Oh, I got that guy's card here. It's he, I can grab it right now. You only want to call him right now, live on the show? We should. I wonder what he's up to.
1: Probably taking some good-looking I, I, guy I out to, to dinner. You,
0: I, I swear to you, I will do it. What do I have to lose? I'll call that guy. Yeah. Oh, we're doing it. So, at some point, we're going to pause, and I'm calling this guy. I'm calling him.
1: We'll see if we can get him on the... You think he still has the same number?
0: Probably not, but I'm going to call him, and...
1: So what is this going to turn into, uh, prank pranksters? <laughs> Look, or gonna... I used
0: to prank people back in the day. I grew yeah. up on the jerky boys. I grew up with those Arnold pranks where you know put the pepperoni on the pizza. Crank yankers. I come from a prank generation. I don't mind bringing it back for a little bit. And considering this guy came up to me on a set and probably wanted to fuck me in the ass, I think it's at least okay for me to maybe give him a prank call the other direction. And do you think I'm going to be using my actual number? No. No, I'm going to take a little step out of those scumbags who approached you. I'm going to use a separate number. I've already told you about my scams, the Google Voice scam, this scam. I got 15 numbers over here. I'm like Marlon Wayans in Don't Be a Menace. I got two beepers, five cell phones, and we're calling this guy. As long as I still got it. I'm nearly, I'm 90% certain I still got that card inside. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes.
1: Yeah, it's it should be interesting. I, you know, it's funny. I think when people get to a certain level of power, especially in Hollywood, because Andy has said this before. Very few industries are left in modern America where you really can feel the hierarchy. You can feel the caste system and Hollywood is one of those industries where there are certain people you don't speak to. You avoid eye contact with them. If they like a particular brand of Turkey bacon on their club sandwich, you get that. So they will be happy. I mean, it is so specific and so asinine The level of power that people are given. So some of these people at the top really think that they can treat human beings, whether they're extras or whether they're people that they're sexually interested in, treat them like cattle. I knew a girl in Hollywood who was at a club years ago, and there was a famous screenwriter and director. I won't mention his name, but a very famous director and screenwriter. And this guy was throwing his weight around And was interested in this girl and a friend of hers and basically offered to buy them. And when they laughed it off and thought it was a joke, he quite literally started throwing out figures and the tens of thousands of dollars and was talking with his friend, no, no, you'll do it for this much. How about this much? And kept raising the price like it was a human
0: auction. Well, as a wise man once said in the early nineties, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man.
1: (laughs) It's true though, but it They really believe, and it's also an industry where not only do they look at you as less than, but they assume that you're desperate and that you want to climb the mountain or the ladder. And because they know, you know, there's a lot of other industries you see people and they're working quietly. You know, when you went to elementary school and I'm not insulting any job, I am above no job in this country. You had a janitor at your elementary school or anywhere else. And you know what, being a janitor is a noble job because you're keeping the school clean. And a lot of people who first come to the United States, or if they're a little older, it's a quality job that offers you health benefits. There's nothing wrong with it. Most schools you worked at, the janitor ended up being a decently happy guy. I still remember my elementary school janitor. His name was Mr. Singleton. and He was a really nice man from Jamaica. He was happy every day. He smiled at us. We smiled at him. There was a mutual respect But you know what? With school janitors, they didn't want to be the principal. They were fine being the school janitor. And so you know what? Nobody had any leverage on him because he was just a good janitor and he made his salary and he did his thing. When it goes to Hollywood, there's no, oh, they're happy doing that. There's a, you want to be where I want to be. And when you have that over people, and politics has this too, which is why it's a really slimy game. When it's the idea that, oh, I have the job that you want. So what I'm going to do is do everything in my power to keep you eating out of the palm of my hand but never allow you the power to be where I am. It's very Machiavellian. It's very old school. It's deep, you know, hierarchical crud like you
0: grovel. oh yeah. my god that makes me sick
1: maybe my point didn't make sense but no, i brought no, like, in the that, other job because it's like you well, work. I,
0: all right so it didn't make sense in that i feel like there are better examples probably but, but yeah. like whereas you don't inherently feel even just a standard office job where the hard work will get you up you don't feel that i need a way to get up opposed to just doing good like you know there are certain benchmarks you hit that will automatically qualify you to move up but not That's not the case at all. Do you know how many Juilliard uh, graduates and how many pristine graduates of all the film schools out there will get not even 10% of where somebody who performed one favor, you know, eventually landed themselves? And it's it's just 100% true. That's why, as, as Jack Nicholson once said, as the Joker in 1989, it's very liberating when you step back from something. And I have no fear calling this director. And I hope he says... You never work in this town again, because I'll say I never worked in the town to begin with, so I don't have to really worry about it. But you're, It's like me spinning the wheel on Wheel of Fortune after the first thing and going bankrupt. Oh, well, I went from zero to zero. I don't mind. And since I've been in this position, I've been able to just do whatever the hell I want in terms of like if I went to a casting director w- workshop and they mouthed off to me and they, they tried to pull some nonsense on me. I'd give them lip directly back. They'd never heard it before. And you should have seen some of the reactions on these people. I've told you about a couple of the stories where I refused to perform for one lady because she tried getting it like in a little back and forth with me beforehand, which was against the rules. We were we had to walk into a room, do the scene and then talk. But she stopped me first, wanted to get into this little talk and then started bickering with me. And then I go. No, I'm not I'm not performing for you. I go, you don't deserve my performance. She got so, so pissed off, and I just walked out.
1: Another funny thing about entertainment, having to do with exactly what you just said, is I think the entertainment industry creates this bitter cadre of people that have various jobs, whether they're the gatekeepers or they're some sort of middle management, and they take part in the, the cast system, and they take place in it because... Most other industries, once you set out to do it, you're doing essentially something that you want to do. If you go to the police academy, most people end up becoming a police officer. Firefighter, same thing. Nurse, same thing. If you go to work in finance in in the city, you're a banker. Now, maybe you don't end up being the CEO, but you're working in banking. So people are doing something on some level that they set out to do. In, In Hollywood, I feel like There are a multitude of jobs, but a majority of people that started working in Hollywood wanted to do something creative. They wanted to perform or they wanted to direct or write. They wanted to be one of those people that actually gets recognized for making art. So even most people in casting, I don't know how people fall into casting. It's either people that just needed a job and they they stumbled into it and they're doing it. But I think even a lot of people who work in casting were people who were writing plays and writing movies or they were acting. And then they get into it And then at some point, it doesn't even pay that well unless you're some major, major, major casting director. And you could count those on your hands practically. So everybody else is another mid-level employee making a salary who fell into the job because they couldn't do what they wanted to do. Very few people go into Hollywood saying, I want to cast movies. (laughs) It just isn't. A real thing. Yeah, yeah. Very few. I mean, I'm sure somebody could refute it out there and say, oh, that's what I wanted to do since I was 16 is be the no, person that, that has to people. find
0: you in that you, you were doing something and then maybe you were good at it somehow found you and you were choosing good people for stuff. But nobody, I have yet to meet a young person say, I want to cast movies. They have to find their way to it or it has to find them.
1: Here, I'll give you a good example. Maybe my my janitor's example wasn't great before. This one's a decent one. It's like in the world of sports. Now, there's a lot of nice coaches out there, but we all know that there are a lot of jerky coaches out there from the middle school level all the way up to probably the pros and the semi-pro, college. And you know why? There's a lot of jerky coaches out there. Because a lot of them were the athlete and they didn't get exactly where they had once dreamed and now they're coaching community college baseball <laughs> and they're angry. And who are they in charge of? A bunch of people that remind them of their 19 year old selves that still have a twinkle in their eye and some potential. <laughs> and so what better way than to dominate them and to be able to tell probably 95 out of a hundred of them that they're never going to amount to anything and that they have to run laps.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that. And I guess branching off of that and then telling you about how, how you talked about before people do extra work because you need to have a job to kind of make some money to supplement. You're also trying to take some acting class. It's Struggling acting is a brutal life, ladies and gentlemen. I will tell you that right now. But the worst part about it is if you were to say, all right, you know what? I want to make some money. Let me get a bartending job. Maybe I can make some tips you got a better chance of working at Merrill Lynch in New York than you do of being an actor trying to get a good bartending job in Los Angeles. Those jobs are weirdly almost more sought after than acting jobs because there are that many actors who need money. So when you talk about those like service industry gigs, all of them, all of them, you have to deal with with just as steep competition for those as you do for the acting work. So not even your job just to make money is hard to attain. And then if you are lucky enough to get one and then you get a big audition and you're a bartender at the Roosevelt pool, you think you can just say you're, you have to leave for an audition. So now you might be throwing away that one job that's giving you money. And then if you don't do that because you don't want to lose the job, now you're missing out on the audition. It's it's miserable, ladies and gentlemen. It really, really, really is if you're stuck in that rough Westworld loop. Now, if you are able to elevate out of it, man, do things get better in a hurry. But that's a – that first jump, that's a tough one. That's Christian Bale in The Dark Knight trying to make it out of the pit. There is no rope and it's the only way you're getting across. It's a hell of a jump and it's a hell of a prayer. But if you make it across, you know, it may be you saving Gotham, you know, the thing about being
1: in Hollywood. And I'll tell you this about my own journey is when you speak to friends or family and my mom falls into this category because she's been nothing but supportive of me for this entire journey. She's been wonderful. But when you speak to outsiders, their only knowledge is like what they read. They read articles. They read autobiographies. And just like history is told by winners, when you read stories about Hollywood or about how to make it, you're only hearing it from the victors. You're hearing it from Matt Damon or Brad Pitt or Ryan Gosling. And the problem with hearing it from the victors is you think that that's the formula for success. But the reality is, is for every
0: outliers like my mom always used to tell me, well, don't worry, Brad Pitt. He was spinning a sign at the corner of an El Pollo Loco and he was driving people in a limousine. Yeah, he was. And so were twenty nine thousand other people. And those people are still on that El Pollo Loco corner spinning that sign or they're dead. But it's just not conveyed to you. Now, granted, even if you told a 21-year-old me that my the chances of doing exactly what you wanted to do were significantly worse, I'm such a thick-headed person, I still will tell you I can defy those odds. But regardless, the picture that's painted is it's if you brought the idea legitimately into Shark Tank and we're going to be an actor and here's the percentages and here's the success rate, they would all be out instantly before you even finished the idea. That is the percent chance of getting a return on your investment when it comes <laughs> to performing and acting. So your, your love for it has to supersede all of that.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's also an industry and there are other industries like this where you can do everything they tell you to do and you can be great at it. And it doesn't matter if you're good looking or charming or talented or all these other things, you get left with nothing. There's just no compensation. And so for every John Hamm and successful person out there, there were 500 other guys that had probably what he has, give or take And they're just not doing it. They had to go do something else or they had a kid or they had to go get their real estate license or they went back to business school or whatever. And that's the most difficult thing about any form of entertainment is that there's just so much luck and it's so much so political and it's so much about relationships. And if you just haven't developed those relationships, you don't get that magical spin on the wheel. You know, whether it's yeah. Wheel of Fortune or Price is Right, like you ju- you do the Prices Right wheel and you get that double zero.
0: Yeah, you know, that there's a saying like the saddest thing in life is wasted talent from a Bronx tale. But a similarly sad thing is talent that wasn't wasted and never discovered. And I really feel like there's a lot of that. It's just the barriers, whether it was the industry beforehand or the algorithms now, it's... It's Vecna's curse, if you guys know what that is.
1: And here's the thing. Maybe some of you out there are thinking, okay, well, yeah, this guy and Andy maybe didn't have success. So it sounds like, oh, you're slightly bitter or you're being accusatory of certain people or structures within the industry because they didn't work in your favor. But here's how we have proof.
0: And first of all, we are more successful statistically than like 95%. Of like, first like of all, we got into the Screen Actors Guild. We have been for over a decade. We've booked shows, national commercials, freaking everything. For me, you know, Days of Our Lives, Tosh.0, oh, Conan O'Brien. I, I've been on the circuit. I've done things. I've done stand-up comedy. He's been in national commercials that you've probably seen. So when it comes to like in the terms of acting, we're actually in the top 10%. But just as a whole, that's kind of what we're speaking to. Because trust me, there'd be two people who will have a grand total of zero things on their resume and can tell you about how bitter they are and whatnot. But we're also collecting information of all the people we've seen and known along the way. It's not just me and him and we didn't know anybody else. We're also relaying the stuff that similar frustrations that many other others have dealt with it's just we want to relay the stuff that nobody ever talks about and nobody told us before going there and if you're just a regular person or and you know somebody who's planning on it you go oh you know well just think about this
1: and in that proof that we know based on our experiences the number one kind of the smoking gun of the whole thing is what we see in front of our eyes and i say this because i'll compare it to sports and this is why i love sports just stay with me here. Sports is the closest thing that you can get to a meritocracy. When Alex Ovechkin goes out on the ice or LeBron James goes out there, you know what greatness looks like. There are not other people out there like them, and there's no denying it. Alex Ovechkin did not get to the NHL because of political connections. He got there because people could not stop him from putting the puck in the back of the net, period. And so that's why I've always loved sports. And it's so obvious to to you when you're a kid, because I remember going to basketball camp and you're 15 and you think you're good and you still think you can play professional hoops. And then you get there and you see the kid that's going to Georgetown or to North Carolina in the scholarship. And you say, Oh, that's what it looks like. Okay. Well, I don't have that. And you know what? It actually teaches you humility and it teaches you acceptance for what's what in Hollywood. I've been on 150 TV sets. Andy's been on probably just as many. We've watched people do the magic. And let me tell you something, there ain't that much magic about it. I've watched people making an obscene amount of money doing things that I know not only myself or Andy, but other people could do. So it would be like going to an NBA game and seeing some 5'10 guy just dribbling only (laughs) with his dominant hand and shooting 30% from the floor... And not looking that good and thinking, well, I could do that if I just stepped out there and that guy's making $10 million a Almost year. Almost
0: worse though, but they presented that guy on TV as he was a star. <laughs> exactly. I
1: have been, and I don't mean this in an insulting way because here's the thing, the, the special people in Hollywood and the people that move me and when I watch them acting, I am I. I do like them and there are a few big time people that are special and they, this is what they were meant to do. But 9 out of 10 actors in Hollywood that make an obscene amount of money and are working on shows you've watched are not doing things that normally talented actors could do. Because there's some people I've been in class with and on set with, and they're not performers. They came out to Hollywood for the wrong reasons, or they've discovered that maybe like it's not for them. But there are a whole plethora of people that are more than capable of being on Pick a sitcom, pick a show that you like where basically you're straight reading the lines and just you have to look like you look, whether that's tall and handsome, whether that's a girl, whether that's an old man who's a little crotchety, whatever the case is, you basically have to just look the part and then read the lines, read what's written for you. And so when you see the magic happen on big time shows and you realize, well, that's not that hard. And then you wonder, well, why can't that be other people? My friend in my acting class who I think is really good. Or maybe even myself just to get a sniff at something. And then you wonder, well, what does it take? You know? And so when you know that you have what it takes, but you still might never get there, that's like the craziest thing in your mind to try to reconcile because there are no people out there that went to dental school that are smart and good at what they do that were just told, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to ever practice dentistry.
0: No, that doesn't exist. Like I've heard before, it's the one profession that you have to be chosen. Somebody has to say, okay, now you can do it. Musicians, they can go to a wedding and play a guitar. There's a certain amount where you can't stop me. It's going to happen and people are going to see the music so it will speak for itself. But when it comes to acting, until it can be seen by the masses, you have to hope that some person sees what you know is good enough and decides that it is in their head too. Because I've already told you guys, I don't know if I have, but I know I've told you about when I went to a casting director workshop, and that's a place where you go to try to impress a casting director enough to the point where they remember you and then call you in for an audition. And this is when I started doing comedy and doing my parodies and pursuing acting. I wrote my own scene. I wrote my own scene that I brought in. And it made everybody laugh. So I performed the scene with a reader. It made the whole class laugh. Meanwhile, all of their pieces did nothing for anybody. And then the lady, the casting director, tried to give me direction. On my own scene. She tried to say, oh, I think the character... were." Oh, really? Do, do you think the ca-? It, it See, this was me. This is my... It's very liberating. I Since I didn't care, I went in with my own scene because they would never know if it was something... It was good advice that I got. I was told once, if you're ever doing a monologue, never do something that somebody knows because you'll always be compared to the person who mastered the performance. Like, don't do a monologue from... I don't know, don't do Nicholson in A Few Good Men because everyone's going to compare you to his performance. Always do something that's more obscure, and they'll ask, well, what's that from? So I took that one step further. Rather than something obscure off-Broadway, I wrote my own scene, and it made everybody there laugh. And then the casting director, who is like a woman in her late 50s, told me how I should adjust the performance for a young guy who is my exact age written by me. Because that's what they have to do. They can't leave that room knowing that somebody had it down. They have to have the last stamp. And if somebody literally is telling the person who wrote those own words that they're not doing it right, then that's what it is. And it's just all these little hints because this is the kind of rat bastard I am. I will not go into the night without knowing that I knew My sniff was correct. And when I saw something like that and I brought my own monologue in that got I got told how my own words should be done, then, you know, it's a rat.
1: Well, it reminds me for anybody that's ever watched Sopranos out there later season, season six, after Tony's been shot by Uncle Junior, he comes back from his gunshot and his surgery and all that stuff. And he's kind of appearing physically weak around his whole crew. And he, he has a young guy that's his driver that's big and muscular, and he has to beat him up in front of the whole crew. and he, I mean, he doesn't have to, but in his own mind, he has to beat this guy up to show dominance, to show that, no, 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 you guys need me as your leader because I will still <laughs> kick anyone's ass here because I'm the tough guy. I'm the boss. Yeah. And that's like a lot of these gatekeeper people, these casting directors. It wouldn't matter what you brought in. The only thing that they have is perceived expertise on what is good and what's not in their notes. So even if you delivered a great performance, they have to cut you down a block because without that power, perceived power, hey, maybe people wouldn't need them. Maybe they could just circumvent their little profession.
0: And I remember when I went in once in a while, I would just, it was in the course of conversation. I'd say, hey, you ever see Game of Thrones? Because I wanted to make a reference. They would never say no. But I could tell, but they never watched it. They're like, I'm familiar. They go, I'm familiar. But what the fuck are you talking about? You're familiar. I'm mean, like, you know the scene where, so, like, you would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Game of Thrones. But I, they clearly didn't watch Game of Thrones. But they wouldn't want to have to answer somebody they perceive as less involved with the industry than them as knowing more than them. So they can't just say, no, actually, I don't watch Game of Thrones. No, instead they'd say, no, I'm, f- I'm familiar as if because maybe they've seen something about Game of Thrones in an article that qualifies as being familiar with it. But they couldn't just answer, no, I don't watch it because then that in their mind would strike them down a little bit. These are all time pieces of shit, ladies and gentlemen.
1: You are nothing but a piece
0: of crap, a piece of crap, a piece of crap. Well, we just took like a two to three minute break so that I could go grab a water and something else here. Take a look at this. I'm handing a card across from him. And it turns out to be the card that the certain somebody handed me after asking me out before the end of the night. And uh, what do you you think? Should we call him? Do you recognize the name?
1: I recognize it from when you first told me the story. Ah, And then I think I had looked him up. But this for sure uh, is a person with a business card with a personal logo on
0: it. H- have you heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> so I think I'm going to I'm going to let let's let's give this guy a call. Let's give him a call a quick decade later. All right, here we go. Let me see. Let me see that number. And he he wrote in red, he put the cell, the handwritten cell, the personal number. Here we go. I'll try to put this on speakerphone. Oh, and you know this isn't coming from my direct number. All right, here we go. Let me try to put this on speaker. Cannot complete your call. Please try again. Wow, the immediate hang up. All right, let's try from the real number. Maybe I'll call him from a real number. Not that scared of him. One last shot. And now, look, we never called him. Oh my god, he does. Hey, it's Andy. I just wanted to see if you were down to grab some chicken parm. I know a great spot. They make it with vodka sauce instead of the standard marinara. I think you'd definitely like it. I also think they got some stuffed rigatoni vodka, um, and, you know, with the ricotta, that's a regional. They don't have that all the time, but I think they ship it in for certain times of the year. So if you want to get that, we got chicken parm with the vodka sauce and then stuffed rigatoni with the ricotta cheese. I think you'll like it. I know you asked me out to dinner a little while back. We can make it happen now. I'll talk to you later. What do you think about that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs>
1: to try to keep a straight base through that. I almost fell over. Wow. He is going to be so confused. But here's the thing. he, The first thing you think is this is the wrong number. Somebody called their friend thinking they were going to go out to dinner and this is a wrong number. But you addressed him by first name and it's hard to get those numbers wrong. The only way that he wouldn't check that is if he has burner cell accounts and that's a phone where the number is in use, but he just doesn't really check that phone except for very specific purposes. Well, how purposes. about
0: the fact that it rejected my other phone number that I called with, and it only accepted a number from an authentic line? Because my the other number that I was going to use, it works off one of those, um, like those third-party numbers. So an incoming phone can detect that it's from a third-party number. And... Uh, so yeah, I just called him for my number. Let's see if he calls me back. Who oh, no, knows, guys? Maybe I'll get that dinner. <laughs> I got that stuffed rigatoni alibi. He's gonna want to stuff something else.
1: I but mean, that dinner invitation had to be thirteen years ago,
0: uh, minimum a decade. Yeah. So, um, we'll see. You know, I've probably grown out of his uh, his desired uh, age range at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he
1: definitely liked you when he when you were eighteen.
0: Oh, he wouldn't have liked what I had to say then, and he definitely won't like what I have to say now, I'll tell you that.
1: I really like that you just did that. That was really funny. That's something... See, I'm still, as much as I like to think I'm liberated, I'm still... And I'm not afraid to admit this on the airwaves. I'm still... A little bit of that cowardice still exists in me because I'm still playing the game in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I would just have a fear... That if somehow, I mean, there's, I know there's, there'd be nothing tracing it anyway. Even if I called them from my number, I probably could, and it wouldn't be a big deal. I just, I don't know. I would just. Of
0: course. Get well, I, you have money in your account on a wheel of fortune. Like I told you, I had a zero and I went bankrupt. I don't mind. You know, they are now unaffiliated with my potential. You know, I still have dreams to do things, but I've now taken it upon myself where it's going to say, I'm making it. Like, it's happening through me or it's not happening. I've taken relying on other people out of my outcomes. Who knows if it's going to work? But that's why I I don't care. I don't have time to wait around for them is my my policy. So I'm going to fuck with them if I can. Because if I I don't need them and I can't rely on them, then fuck them. Absolutely.
1: My thing is, does he still get legitimate work today? I know he had a period where he was directing some stuff that was
0: oh, dude. he's been i know he's been involved with major projects since the 80s so i would highly doubt that they just stopped yeah and I'll, i mean I'll, I'll look it up briefly all right so let's see um let's see what this guy and now i'm not i'm not gonna say it but uh because then that would reveal um all right since the pandemic He's been working consistently, but you know what? No, no massive projects recently, but enough where it's something like he's, you know, consistently working.
1: (laughs) I'm not in love with some of these social media movements because I think sometimes they go so far where it just becomes kind of a scorched earth policy, which I've never really been a huge fan of. But I will say this. I enjoyed a lot of parts of the Me Too movement and some of the other stuff, because Hollywood is filled with people who thought they could get away with it. And I think that there's very few things that we despise more in American life than somebody who acts unethically or is constantly doing stuff that's below boards and they just get away with it or they think they can get away with it because we just have a deep rooted sense of fairness and justice and I say that obviously there's so many corrupt things in America and yep. things that aren't correct. But the ideal of old school American is that we'll find a way to try to make it fair if we can. We strive for that, even though we failed many times. And so I think when we see these executives who just were so, and you know what my thing is? Cause they're horrible to people. Obviously, the assault stuff and like the creepy sexual stuff is heinous. And anybody that, you know, is facing jail time, throw them in jail. But some of the stuff that's also really bad that they don't even talk about is just how personally abusive they are. Oh yeah. To people on their staff. Yeah. Trying to like whipping out your, your genitals or going after a girl, that's horrifying. But to me
0: Like the Ari Gold treatment.
1: Of course, the, the next step down from the ladder, which is, yeah, not as bad as sexual assault, but it's it's a whole rung down the ladder, but it's something that's done every day, is just the abusive, degrading behavior. To people on your staff and using intimidation tactics to basically say, hey, you're going to aid and abet me, abet me for everything that I do, or I'm going to ruin your livelihood and you won't work anymore. I mean, that's a You'll pretty- You'll never work in this town again. That's a really crummy thing to do. When you know you've got 25-year-olds who are really scared, who need to pay their rent and are desperate, and you know you can basically mentally abuse them and get you to basically help you commit crimes. Can you imagine the staff of people that Matt Lauer- had on hand Uh, that just helped him patch it up. Yeah, like can just, and those people now have to live with the fact that maybe they were so afraid to lose their job with one of the most powerful men in news television that they had to help him secure private information, address his phone numbers for younger women who worked at the company. And they realized that maybe that girl got treated poorly or weirdly or whatever it was. And that you maybe did something to help that because you were afraid that Matt Lauer was going to ruin you. And so you put the blinders on. Like that's terrible too.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Let's let's take this yeah, yeah. to a more uh positive place. I could tell you that I went to the most recent season of Stranger Things just came out and they have in New York this interactive experience where you go there and it's not too dissimilar to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights as I was telling some of the listeners a little while back, and I was trying to explain, like in these interactive experience. Like I didn't think it was going to be like you walk in and there were like people in lab coats from the Hawkins Lab, like telling us that we we were the we were going to be part of the projects. And then I was just, like, I'm looking at this guy, and I know what his dreams are, and it's not to be a Hawkins Lab employee <laughs> in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in a converted warehouse because it wasn't even Universal Studios it was like you know a step below that and he's just fake it. and look hats off to him because he really he gave it his all but do you think that guy wants to be there and i was trying to t- i'm like that is t- i was watching that and i just felt for the guy he woke up that morning he listened to whatever he, he listened to now he has to be a fake Hawkins employee to casual people like me who are just going by to see this what a miserable experience like a Terminator actor at at Universal Studios for the daily Terminator show
1: I'll say this in defense of at least a few of those people I do think there's a percentage and it's not the majority but there are a small percentage of people that do that kind of work that are such fans of that universe they're like the comic-con people yeah that their fandom is at a level where even doing something like a cosplay or whatever they call it, to do that is actually an honor for them, and it's something that they happen to enjoy, like the people that go to the park and do LARP and stuff like that, but I think it's a small percentage.
0: No, but that, that would make me happy. Because I I did that scummy thing where I just put myself in his shoes like, oh, I'm trying to perform in major productions. I've worked my ass off and what am I doing here for some Joe Blow who don't even care about this and I have to fake like I'm a Hawkins Lab employee.
1: A majority of people, they want to be a performer or they want to do something else and the closest that they can get is being a Stranger Things (laughs) essentially role player. In a fantasy warehouse haunted hayride walkthrough thing. It's the same pool of people where when you go on a cruise in the Caribbean and some girl gets up there with a headset on and she's singing show tunes. (laughs) Let me tell you something. She was at 42nd in Broadway trying to get the understudy part on Wicked and it didn't work out. And now she's going out of the port of Miami, Dade County. And she's pretending to be a Disney princess on a carnival cruise line. And I'm not knocking that job. But when you see these role player people, here's another category. When you see these role player people, they're performers. So yeah, they might be half dead inside or half miserable, but they're doing it for money and they're doing it so they can still perform. And there's at least some honor in that.
0: There is 100% honor. It's more so like I'm looking at the people next to me, just casual viewers of it, and they don't they're not looking at this guy as an actor. And what I'm seeing is somebody who wants to be at the top and he is light years away. He's as far as we actually are from a fictional town, Hawkins, Indiana. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indiana. Cause I live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're as far as away from Hawkins, Indiana, the fictional set in the eighties, as they are away from the actual acting gig on the show.
1: You know who I feel the worst for?
0: The Walking Dead zombies at Halloween Horror Nights?
1: No, because th- that's an, that's a mixture of people trying to work who need money. Yeah. And then people that are just carnies. They're, they're, they're <laughs> juggalos. They're people that would go to those shows and paint their face. And they're just out there. And But the hardest form of performance, and they've shown this in Barry... And in fact, I have dated a couple people who have worked in this profession. It's the girls who dress up like Disney princesses and do birthday parties, like private home birthday parties as Disney princesses. And they pretend to be Belle or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. And they show up to these wealthy backyards with eighteen, eight, and 9 year old girls for a birthday party. And they do fairy dust and crowning of princesses and songs and other stuff and listen if you're a girl and you're doing that and it's how you pay your bills i will never i'm not even disrespecting the job don't feel
0: feel bad the ghostbusters did that in the beginning of ghostbusters too traveling around for birthday party (laughs) hey look when there's no ghosts around you gotta find a way to pay the bills it's hard man
1: but you can just imagine you can see it in in the eyes
0: Well, I I said on one of my previous episodes when I walked around Disney, all I saw were a bunch of people who probably have the nastiest, dirtiest sex you've ever seen in your life because they have all the, they have to be act like little proper children every day. And I feel like they get off that shift and behind those Disney walls after midnight you're hearing some strange things and it ain't coming from the animal actor show or whatever the hell that thing Dare
1: is. we say stranger
0: things e- than e- you expected? Exactly. Exactly. It's
1: a wild world, man. Yeah. You cannot, when you work these events, I don't care if you're a zombie in a Halloween horror nights or whatever. I don't care if you're a professor uh, in Hawkins who works at the underground lab and you're really in the Brooklyn Navy yard, or if you're one of those greeters at Disney world. You cannot break character. It is the cardinal rule. It's the first rule of fight club. You do not vary. You know, there are no variations. You stay on character because the number one thing is you're selling an experience. And if you break from that experience, you're finished.
0: You know, when I was in that stage, you know, you take gigs. Like we're, we're talking about, you you need some gigs to pay the bills. And once in a while I would do like this promo work. Something as simple as, oh, we're doing this Dolce and Gabbana event, can you wear some of the clothing and hand out water bottles? Yeah, no problem. No problem. You're going to pay me, I'll go there for the day and do that, and you smile. But then eventually I got to that point where, you know, somewhat aversion of the guy that you're listening to right now it was a couple of years ago i already had a job but i still would take jobs to the side and they said hey andy can you come to uh governor's island we're having this event and we just need you to like greet people and hand out a couple water bottles because it's going to be hot and my response to the guy was i'm sorry man i'm at the al bundy phase of my life i can't fake a smile for that long anymore and the person just said lol i appreciate the honesty and that was the end of it i can't i can't because they're going to say this guy you sent here he's 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 i mean he's handing out the water bottles but not in the pleasant nature that we were hoping for that's i just i just that's it you, there's a certain point you know like when you went to college you weren't going to high school parties anymore well you know there's a certain point where you're not willing to to just fake a smile for a whole day. Sorry. As my uncle once told me, make people earn your smiles. And I think that's where we're at now. We're at the smile earning phase of life.
1: Absolutely. You definitely have to earn those. And it's it, it comes down to this too. And I agree with you here. Once you've done a job that you don't necessarily love that at one point you did to make a living or to make an extra buck, I think it's okay to move on from that. And I think it's actually a very healthy thing in life to not ever retrace the steps you once took, especially if it didn't bring you any joy or if it actually got under your skin, because if something ever annoyed you, you thought, well, I'd really not like to do this again. Don't ever go back to doing it because you're just going to put yourself in a hole.
0: Has there ever been a job that you started? like, that's, I don't care. I, this is awful. I'm leaving and whatever. I'm not going to get paid.
1: I've never once, you know, I come from such an old school family. You know, my grandparents were immigrants and you don't quit things in the middle. You at the very least finish a job. Yeah. but you can maybe choose not to go back to it. I would say there are only two types of jobs that I've ever had that I would be comfortable never actually doing again. One is being an extra on television. I don't ever want to go back to be doing that. And it's not because it was a hard job. It was because you're treated like an idiot. And to sound as humble as I can while saying this, I'm not an idiot. The second job is I used to do... My uncle owns a contracting business in the New England area. And he basically does all kinds of contracting for roofing and flooring. And let me tell you something, when you've actually done a month or two months worth of manual labor on a small crew of guys (laughs) where you're just out in 90 degree heat. Yeah. All, and, all
0: of a sudden being a Prince Charming on a cruise off of Miami sounds like uh yeah. paradise.
1: If you're not one of those, like I want to be like Christ and be a carpenter, or <laughs> it's not your calling, let me tell you <laughs> something. Doing contracting work and being the labor and the low-skilled labor that's to carry everything and vacuum up all the dust, it sucks. I guess so,
0: w- One last thing. This is something that I believe we touched upon last time, and it's something that... Uh, you know, if you're a guy, you might want to know if you're looking for hot girls, you may always see that Los Angeles pin in their bio. So you may think, oh, my God, all these hot girls, Los Angeles, I should go there. You should. And you should see them and then wave goodbye because you'll never be hanging out with any of them. There's a zero percent chance this whole like power game. Who are you? How you? Everywhere you go, it's who are you? And if you're a nobody, you're getting nobody. I think per capita, the two worst times of my life were when I was an awkward teenager and then Los Angeles. That, that They rivaled each other in terms of how attractive I was. And it didn't have to do with my looks or personality because many times even me and you went on vacation and man did the tables turn. If we went to Vegas, we went to Arizona, we came to New York, anywhere. Things return to normal, but not in the vacuum known as Los Angeles. If you were a nobody, you got nobody. Simple as that.
1: I would say that's 100% true. LA is probably one of, if not the worst places on planet Earth for dating when it comes to the idea of everyone is very obsessed with status and not just like regular status, like the... They don't necessarily care that you came from like a nice family with good ethics and you went to college. Like, I'm not talking about status like that. We're talking outward social media. What do you drive? Who do you know? What parties are you, are you at? Status. Now, places like Miami or New York or cities that have, you know, big industry or that are kind of flashy, there's elements of it, but it's not the heart and soul of the city. You can still meet a lot of normal people. In Los Angeles, it's very difficult. Especially if you're in the central part of the city and you're hanging out in trendy areas, it's very, very hard to meet people who aren't driven at
0: all by some form of status. It's just not enough. Like you could you know that when when you say, Oh, I'm looking for, for that person to check the boxes, you can check every last one of those boxes. The regular person's boxes where someone would go, Wow, you're kind of being picky. You can check all of those. And that's nothing in Los Angeles unless you have the major one. It's the major box and then all the minor boxes. That's how it was. I mean, you saw that. I, I, I think I dated a grand total half of one girl during my years there.
1: And it's just difficult because you look for somebody that you would consider to be a good match for yourself. And it feels like because let's be honest, you know, nobody here is a is an overly shallow person. Physical attraction is absolutely part of dating. And anybody that tries to say anything outside of that is lying to you. That's just everybody looks at somebody's physicality. You want to feel like you're a good match. You want to feel attracted to them. You want to be able to hook up. That's just part of dating for men and women or whatever. Of course. And so when you look for somebody, a lot of times you look for a counterpart. You look for somebody, hey, that person and I, I feel like we could fit together, especially if you're like you or me and you're a very reasonable person. And the problem in Los Angeles is you find people that are in your wheelhouse or in your ballpark as far as like looks physical fitness everything else and even every girl that feels like they're in your realm or your ballpark they don't act like they are it's like they need it it's we've talked about this before it's the trade-up culture so every person that you feel like is a good match or a good fit they're not going to look at you as a good fit and it really it is the biggest can i curse course it's the biggest mind fuck of all time yeah. it is such a mind fuck because yeah. you go out there and you try to have a modicum of confidence and it just that city tries to eradicate your confidence you know and it just is. and it does it
0: quite successfully on many occasions i'd say it took me a good year and a half to have true austin powers mojo back that's who i was i had my mojo robbed by dr evil and it took a good year and a half being out of there to get some of it back, a good scam or two. But how many of my scams that you hear on here? Probably some of it was to try to regain some of my confidence. Talk to the subway girl scam. Talk to the girl at the gym scam. I needed to scam my way back into confidence. But here we are.
1: <laughs> how about this? Because we're, uh I'm anonymous. Yeah. People know who you are, but at this point, I don't think you care about it. Yeah, I don't care. And obviously, you can cut anything you want from the show. No,
0: I'm not cutting shit. Go. Well,
1: how about how about this? And you can explain it. Yeah. How about for your scam of the week? You talk about the uh the IMDB scrapped pilot credits.
0: Oh, the the Lie MDB? Yeah. It's a
1: scam. That's a scam. What a scam that was. So this was all a scam, huh?
0: This is the scam of all scams that i was going to keep quiet until i made it to a certain point of my career but since i already just prank called a well-known director and left him a message about getting rigatoni a la vodka stuffed with the ricotta cheese which is unbelievable if you have diced chicken cutlets on top it's unbelievable then we may as well go the full way and talk about the lie mdb the IMDb scam is, if you go to my IMDb, you type in Andy Francis, it will, you'll see my IMDb as one of the top links, and you're going to say, wow, this guy has a decent amount of credits. I clicked on the shows that he's in, and I see a bunch of well-known actors. Well, I've kept the illusion alive that I'm consistently working on these projects, because what I do is I find pilots that were shot and then not picked up. So, for example, every pilot season, NBC, ABC, they will make a certain amount of pilots and then a certain amount will be picked up to make X amount of episodes. So what I do is I add myself to the pilots that weren't picked up. And those are the credits that you see every time I see a pilot fail one that seems like I could be cast on in some small role I add myself to the show and build my lie MDB profile I have a big fake profile just like I have a big fake everything that you've learned over the past year and a half it's one of the scams that's necessary like a necessary evil it's a necessary scam because if this is a fake it till you make it town and it's all about painting illusions then we're going to paint me a nice profile and a nice resume that allows someone to click my name and say well you know we can trust this guy look at all these uh, productions he's been on can we get some video of him no oh, no these were all canned pilots ow oh, but he must have been good on all those right yeah sure let's bring him on so it's the lie mdb scam keeping me working in hollywood while not Working in Hollywood. How do you like that?
1: And the reason it's such a scam and that it works is because the traditional way that IMDb works is that you have to send them a request. Giving yourself a credit for something that you've worked on and the powers that be the, the boardroom or the the, yeah. the gatekeepers at yeah, IMDb yeah, have to Claw. go in. Yeah. yeah. And they have to verify that you've worked there. And so if you're not in the show or they go through, and you're not in the footage or whatever else on a show that's currently on television. They deny you. Otherwise, any jerk can go and say, ah, "I was a you know, a doctor's. I was a PA, a physician's assistant on House, and Hugh Laurie smacked me with a clipboard." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, they can look. They can look and check. And if you're lying, you're not going on IMDb. But the beauty of the scrapped pilot is there's no there are no checks and balances. It's not the Constitution. They just have to go based on a suggestion so you can actually go and upload the credit and there's nothing the gatekeepers can do because there's nothing to verify so it just stays there in the ether
0: right ladies and gentlemen you can't find footage that doesn't exist or is readily available to these people to check and then who is filing for credits on pilots that never aired nobody wait no no actually somebody and it's me that's who it is so Just always know you think you got everything figured out. There's always one more credit on (laughs) LiMDB. I think that's a perfect way to maybe end this podcast. As always, we're going to bring my buddy back anytime he's around because we don't just have to talk about L.A., but it's a part of a big part of my life that I repeatedly neglect because I always kind of try to talk about current things and stuff that's relevant. And I'm always worried that if I talk about it, it sounds like it's coming from a jaded point of view, but I'd rather have you hear at least two jaded points of view so that you could say, well, you know, maybe it's not a coin. Maybe we'll bring a third point of view next time. But anyway, I appreciate you guys listening. I I think that this is the kind of episode that uh, you like from what you guys told me last time that I have my friend in here. So I'm going to thank you for hanging out. Why don't, why don't we go get uh, some stuff rigatoni Gatoni vodka, and we'll send that guy a couple pictures of it and say, you're missing out. No, I can't wait. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, man. You got it, man. Right, take it easy. I'll be back with you next week. Do all those fun things. Share this. Why don't you share this episode with somebody who is planning on going to Hollywood? All right. They're all excited. They got their bags packed. And why don't you be that last person? Why don't you take a listen to this first? Take a quick listen. You can be that last second Debbie down. But no, if you could share that with someone uh, you might enjoy, I'd really appreciate it. Follow the, my accounts on social media. It's Andy Francis on everything, including LYMDB Take it easy. I'll talk to you next week.